All right, folks. Um, welcome. Uh, my name is Corey McCarthy. Um, we're joined by Fred Laporte, David Kelton, um, Corbin Ferrero Douglas. We got a special guest tonight, um, a gentleman by the name of Sean Hurt. I first seen Sean at the um, at the fellowship, I believe, in in Philly a few yep. few years back, and um, it, I went to his session, man. And it was just it, it just clicked to me that um, the other brothers in other places trying to make things happen and and qualified brothers. Right. And um, and, it have, and, and from a follow up, when you talk about being qualified, it's just really once you do the research, you start thinking like all of us are qualified. Right. The basketball coach, um, the youth mentor, um, you know, the, the counselor, the whole nine. And, um, you know, but, but what impressed me the most about Sean is his ability to rationalize and, and, and use data analysis to turn schools around and to motivate other people to do it. So for me, being a guy, a brother from Boston and, and the folks in this network that's on this call right now who are able to, do, who are able to pursue it, do it, and, and be passionate about it, we all are always looking for ways to, to, to positively impact our kids. And when you look at Sean's story and you look at what he's done in his neighborhood, in his town, um, it's nothing short of inspiring. So, um, you know, we're going to go Q&A and uh, brothers, you can jump in whenever you want. But Sean, welcome. Um, just kick it off by just sort of telling, talking about you, your story and, and your impact on, 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 on schools, particularly urban schools. All right, well, well, no, well, thank you, Brother Corey, for having me come on. You know, this is a blessing just seeing all of these positive brothers on here. And just a little bit about myself is that I've been in, in education for 22 years, uh, grew up and raised in the uh, metropolitan Detroit area. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I start off at the, ele at the elementary level. And then my story is pretty much like this. When I was growing up in Detroit, I will always hear and I will always see the negative things about Detroit schools, okay? Growing up, you know, that only thing we did was fight, gangs, it was terrible. So the newspaper always have all of these negative things about it. So then when I became a teacher at the age of 22 years old, you know, I told myself, I said, you know what? I wanna make a change as, a, as an educator. I don't want that, I don't wanna have that same story. So then now, Back in the 80s, I started 2000 and in, in, uh, 2000, I'm still hearing the same story. Nothing has changed. So then in my mind, I'm like, okay, so there's no positive schools in Michigan, in Detroit. There's not a, a school where you got 800 black kids and we just learn it. So then from there, when I became an assistant principal, just a little bit, you know, um, I became assistant principal at one of the lowest performing schools in Detroit at a high school. So I went from elementary to high school. Okay, so I got the assistant principal position and the principal said, her, we got one year to be able to raise student achievement. And the only thing that they want to do is that the state wants to see that we improve the ACT scores. So I said, All right. I said, so what is the uh, what's the average ACT scores for this high school? He tells me a 13. I said, hold up now. I've been out of school for a minute, but don't you get like a 12 just by putting your name right and your address and stuff like literally. So he was like, yeah. So to make a long story short, I'm walking around the school. And in the first week, I'm like, all right, I see the teachers don't really care. I see the students 
they're going to be high school students, but they wilding out because they see what's going on in the environment. So then I said, man, I got a year. I got to make this work. So I said, no, what? Let me do. I said, let me. I said, the only thing I need is this. I said, let me get the top math teacher and the top ELA teacher. And after school for about four or five months, we're going to do just a killing drill on math and ELA. Let me get the juniors. I said, we got about 100 juniors here. I said, I got to take the top 30 juniors. And I said, if I can move those kids from a 13 to like a 16 or 17 on the ACT, it's going to move our whole academic needle. So at the end of the year, the average score went from a 13 on the ACT to about a 15. Superintendent loved it. Everybody loved it. Then I became a principal of a of a of a elementary and middle school, K through eighth grade school, um, about about six hundred kids. And then Brother Corey, I saw this. I said, "Man, we got six hundred kids here. They're all black. All come from inner city. All coming from poverty." Now I'm the principal, and then I looked at my staff. I said, "85 percent of my staff are white women. 85 percent of my staff white women." I'm the black uh, black principal. We got 600 black kids coming from the inner city of Detroit. We don't have any money, so I'm so I'm so I'm like I got to make this work with little to no money. So what do I do, brother Corey and fellas? So the first thing I said, I said, okay, we're going to look at the data to drive this instruction because I can't just I can't make a mistake because we don't got a half a million dollars to be able to order this and order that or be able to replace this person with that. That's not taking place. So I said, let me look at the data and the driving instruction. Second, I said, you know what? If we got 600 black kids here, we need to know how black kids learn. So let's start to have books. Let's start to have discussions. Let's have, let's have these things because if we don't, I know that this school is going to fail. It's been failing for the last 40 years, so nothing going to change. So we use those two things, culturally responsive teaching and using data to drive the instruction. After the first year of me being a principal, our school went from one of the lowest uh, achievement schools to the highest within one year. The superintendent, now listen to this brother Corey, the superintendent says, Mr. Hurt, man, you did a good job. I said, Sue, how do you know I did a good job, man? You haven't, you haven't been in my building in nine months. You gave me the keys and said, just make sure you don't make the news, fine. So he comes in, he walks around, he sees the kids in the classroom learning, you know, everything is fine. So he tells me this. He says, brother, he says, hurt. Now I'm not ashamed of this school, but I would have friends come to my district. I would drive by the school and go to some of our better schools because I knew when I went to the school, it was going to embarrass me. So then the second year as a, as a principal, he says, hurt, I need you to train these other principals in our district because I know that you had the same teachers, same students, I didn't give you any money, same curriculum, but now you're moving it. You need to train. So that's how kind of how my journey started. And then from there, it just kind of took off like that. Tough. Tough. <laughs> you know, I when you when I hear that, man, I I somebody brought up something um in a podcast <laughs> that I was listening to about educator self-esteem. And sometimes how teachers don't have. It's just sometimes they don't have the self-esteem in their own craft, man. What are some of the things you did to motivate some of them tenure teacher? We know about tenure educators, right? What are some of the things you did to, to talk to really influence them, those tenure teachers or those teachers in general to start moving the needle? Because no matter what, we say whatever we want about them, about educators, man, we got we, we got to get them to buy in. So what did you do? 
one of the uh, the first the first thing I did is that I st- I established a, a strong leadership team because mm-hmm. I knew that I knew that if I can have leaders within my grade levels and within my school, they're gonna be able to tell the story that I needed to be told to all of my tenure teachers and things of that nature. So I sat with them, and we established a strong leadership team. Second is that I had to deal with the elephant in the room, Corey. Man, it was real simple to me. We have black kids here. We need to learn. We need to read. We need to go into the neighborhoods. We need we need to understand how black kids learn. Not just the white teachers, all of us. I was out of the loop, you know. So we really need to have these type of discussion on how black kids learn. And then the, and the third was that I had to present the data. The data said only 10% of our kids were proficient in math, you know, in the whole school. You know, 5% was proficient in reading. So I let the data talk because if we understand, data has no feelings. Data doesn't have emotions. Data just tells you what's going on and the data allows us to be able to make the changes that we need to be able to move what we're going to do. So in my mind, I say, if I can get 80% of my staff moving in the right direction, we can carry these other 20, 20% of teachers and things of that nature. So my rule was 80-20. I get 80, they're going to be able to carry these 20. And then over time, once we start to see the things taking place as positive, then we're going to go in and move these other 20. If not, then they'll just have to either complain, moan, or whatever it may be. But when the majority is moving in the right direction, that's all I want. Um, of course, may I ask a question? Um, Corey, may I ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Go ahead. So, like, I think you kind of answered uh, a little bit, but um, so you mentioned that there was like uh, 85% white women um, as faculty, like educators. Uh, what were some of the ways um, you combat like some of the veteran teachers who? who would, um, you know, obviously they have like racial undertones or microaggressions and, and stereotypes and, you know, obviously the inferiority complex. How were you able to minimize that tone and for them to buy into what the, the, uh, the motivation movement, but obviously uh, with the student body as far as like encouraging them? Um, or uh, my next other half of the question would be, how were you able to recruit uh, more minorities within your building? And so the first question is that the first thing I had to establish, and this is what I want all principals all across the world to do, you have to establish what is your really your, your goal for this particular school. A lot of times we'll say our mission statement is to make sure our kids go to college and, and we're going to have the community looking good, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's nothing that I can actually, I, I can't measure that. I cannot measure that. I can measure to say, okay, I want to have 1.5 years worth of growth in math and reading by the end of the year. That is measurable, okay? So everybody understood what, what that was. Now, how are we going to get there? Now, if we know that the data is saying that majority of our black males is being suspended, majority of our black males reading, whatever it may be, now we need to have articles and book studies to talk about best practices on what we can do to try to educate our black boys, our black girls inside of the classroom, okay? And then from there, once we start to have these book studies, we looked at our school, 
Why don't we have a lot of movement that's taking place in the classroom level at the high school level? Because we don't have a lot of hands-on learning that's, that's actually taking place. Why is it our classrooms are set up for more right brain learners, which really deals with more girls, and is not set up for left brain learners? Well, if we start to set up our class for left brain learners, more boys are going to start to be more engaged inside of the classroom. Those things right there, people, we, we just did not know. We just did not know. You know, the other thing is that I purposely set my school up. So if you come into my hallways, I think, Brother Corey, I've seen it. I have pictures of all of my students hanging from the cellar. Okay. What does that mean? We understood that the kids was coming into the school because my kids are coming from poverty. All right. They're, they're coming from drugs, alcohol, all that kind of stuff in their neighborhood. So if they're coming from a messed up neighborhood, how are they going to be able to code switch when they come into the school when the school is looking just like their neighborhood? Does that make sense? So now we have pictures up in our hallways so kids can see themselves in a positive image every day. LeBron James is not coming to my school. Tom Brady is not coming to my school. You understand? Russell Wilson is not coming to my school. Kevin Durant, they're not coming to my school. So I just never understood. We got pictures of them talking about drink milk, milk, let's read and all that kind of stuff. Let me have people that they see. Let me have themselves. So I have Brother Corlin on here. If, if, if I say, Brother Corlin, I'm going to take a picture of you smiling and you see yourself every day for 190 days smiling, you're going to start to become that. If teachers see their kids smiling for 180 days, they're going to start to see their kids in a different light than what maybe the media and the newspaper is doing. Once again, I don't have money. So now consequently, it took me $5 to be able to have positive imagery of all 600 of my kids inside of my building. So something like that, something very small, something very, very, uh, very progressive, Allow me now, we can start to have those type of conversations and things of that nature. And the other thing is that when I started to recruit some more, um, some more black males, I'm being very honest with you, black males, what I did was that I started to go to the college fairs. I started to knock on doors and stuff like that. Hey, we got teacher positions. So they might come in as long-term subs. We get them into some teacher programs so they can get certified and now they're my fifth grade teacher, they're my eighth grade teacher. And then on top of that, now, <clears throat> this is always me, is that now I don't want you just to be a teacher. So now I will boast about this. Since I've been a principal for the last 14 years, I've actually developed over eight teachers that are currently now principals and assistant principals, and they're all minorities. So now I'm like, okay, when you come to my building, you're going to be here for a couple of years, but I need you to get up out of here to become assistant principal somewhere. I need you to be a curriculum coach. I need you to be a principal. I just said last year, I said last year, my assistant principal, he's a principal in Portland, Oregon. You understand what I'm saying? So now I'm, I'm developing the next superstar principal to be able to take over these districts. And now they're going to bring the same type of pedagogy that they've been up under me inside of their school. So now we're scaling it. Now it's being scaled. So now it's just not a Mr. Hurt school doing it. Now we got multiple schools that's teaching all of these, that's reaching all these African-American kids coming from the inner city. You know, I, I think you make a great point. Um, and, and the reason I think you make a great point is because sometimes I tell people at my job that I'm literally working with them so they can take my job. And what makes that point so important 
Um, truly is the fact that I believe that we don't, us influential males of color, we the we have to work, map it backwards. I think they, we need to be in the leadership positions because then we could be able to, t we could easily figure out what the best lesson planning is for our kids. We could easily figure out what the best curriculum is for our kids. We could easily figure out what the best classroom management is for our kids. And then on the flip side, the kids can look at us and see us in leadership positions as decision makers, because we don't have the time to, for the kids to watch us climb the ladder. You feel what I'm saying? So that, I think that's a great point because we, they, people, we, people have to take chances on us in a sense because they have to allow the kids to see us in these very powerful spaces because we're not going to leverage a lot of us because I'm going to say all of us. A lot of us are not going to leverage those power dynamics the way some of us would and adversely affect the kids. So uh, I think that's a, that's an amazing point. Um, you know, as a as a vice principal now, and I know Damon's one, I know Fred and um, Portland climbing the ladder, you know, what is the most, what is, what do you, what do you teach or instill in your assistant principals that you, is the, that is the common denominator in terms of all eight of those folks who went on? I think the, I think the biggest thing is that. I don't know if you heard me, did you hear me? Yeah, oh. I think, I think, I think the biggest thing is that, and I'll tell any principal, you must understand that. That's the, that is the bottom line because data drives everything that you do. You must understand data to be able to drive instruction. You must understand your district data. You must understand your state data. You must understand the data that leads to financial decisions. Understand your data because at the end of the day, as much as I, as much as it is, is that your school will be judged by if they're going to move the academic needle at the end of the year. That's the bottom line. So now, what I'm seeing is that a lot of, and not not just not just inner city, but a lot of principals, we don't, we don't train our people to understand data. So now consequently, we're just doing things. So now we're spending money just to spend money. Well, why are you buying that reading program? Is the data saying that you need to spend $50,000 for reading or do we need to focus in on math? You understand what I'm saying? What, you know, what is your district data saying? You know, so I think data for me is so important because everybody's gonna have the same lingo. We got the same look of resumes. We kind of know it, but now if I can go into your, if I can sit in front of you, Brother Corey, and sit in front of that superintendent and say, you know what, in the next three years, I know I can raise student proficiency by 35 or 40%, and this is how I'm going to do it, then consequently, you're going to get that job. Mm. Mm. And then you have a farm. Go ahead. Yeah, I would just say, I mean, I definitely agree, you know, with your assertion that, you know, the data is important and it should be, you know, data driven and everything we do. But um, also it's difficult. It's been difficult at the high school level, you know, because a lot of times, you know, we don't have, um, you know, we only have a snapshot and we're missing, you know, the, the data that comes from a, a student school K through eight or what have you, you know, so um, something as small as, you know, whether it's a, even if it, if it is a, a reading program or, you know, Wilson or something um, surrounding literacy, like 
a lot of times we we have students or we get students who have missed so many of those building blocks early on, you know, and the only form of, you know, data we have when they walk in is when we, you know, assess them out the gate, you know, and you have, I mean, you have some students who, you know, they'll avoid the test because it's embarrassing, you know, to acknowledge that you're struggling, you're a a quote unquote low reader, you know what I mean? So you have certain people who will avoid school and avoid those assessments, you know, um, that, that will enable us to help them and get programs and things that they need, you know? So how would you tackle that just in terms of, you know, the high school level and not having access to all of the, the data from K to K to eight. One, well, you know, when I was assistant principal, like I said, you know, mm-hmm. the data showed that the average ACT scores was 13. So I knew that they didn't get they didn't get this way by the time they got to 11th grade. So I was able to look at the ninth grade situation. I said, okay, pretty much I know that we got ninth graders reading at a third or second grade level. So now we still got to teach to the standards. So we got to teach to the standards. But now we got to we got to do a thing where we have to now have our classroom set up to be able to give these kids some reading intervention during the school day. You know, I mean, you know, having those type of conversations. So I was meeting, I pretty much met with my boys inside of the, uh, you know, in the beginning of the year. And I was like, all right, you know what? We got to do better. We're going to have different type of classrooms. I got teachers that's going to be helping you guys read. There's no need to be embarrassed, but we are climbing our culture. Our school, I had to shift how we were delivering that instruction because, once again, at the end of the day, it did not work. It haven't worked for 60, 80, 100 years. It, it, it has not worked. So now why would I keep on doing the same thing? So now my conversation with the teachers is that, okay, we need to kind of we still want to have those ninth grade standards, those 10th grade standards, but now when we, we're going to take 25 minutes and we're going to do some workshop model. Now I'm going to teach you how to do workshop inside the classroom where you break your kid, kids off in small groups, but we're going to do some drilling and reading. Also in math, the same way. We know that if they're doing algebra one, but they're having problems in algebra one, well, these kids can't multiply. We get that. We understand that. So now we need to be able to put things in place and not programming because I'm a, I'm a big component. Less the program needs to be, less equip our teachers. Let's equip these teachers to be able to do the things that we need to do to be able to have the, that, those high caliber instruction that's taking place inside of the high school level. So once we started to do that, we started to see a shift, you know, probably about like November, December, we have systems in place that was going to address all of our needs of our students. Yeah, you know, thank, you. I, thank you. I definitely, I, I definitely love that. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's also then we're now we're battling. You know, some of the some of the teachers with the you know equity for grading. You know what I mean? So yeah. equitable grading, so they're not just failing students in in droves and not you know reteaching and not using that workshop model. So thank, but yeah. thank you. And then and then and then and then brother Damien, the other the other thing is that. You know, and then I always talk about this, especially I'm I'm working with a high school in uh, in uh, in Georgia. I said, you know what? We always look for proficiency, but let's deal with growth. So now, if you got a kid that's coming into your 
10th grade, ninth grade reading, and then they're taking the I-Ready or, or NWA, whatever assessment that the district have, have they grown since they've been inside of your classroom? So I'm coming in after third grade, I might not be proficient, but at least I've grown two years since I've been in there. You understand? And then even the high kids, some of, you know, because we always, we always talk about the low ones, but let's deal with the high ones. You can, Brother Corey might be coming in, he's in the ninth grade reading at a, at a college level. But now he's in your class for a year and he's still high proficiency, but now he's reading at, at a 12th grade level. He'll still pass the state test, still behind, but he did not grow in your class. So pretty much he came in smart, he's leaving smart, but he did not go to the next level. So once again, that data is so important to be able to monitor the black, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna hold everybody accountable. You're not gonna say these kids are low. They still might be two or five or six years low, but now we're having 1.5, 1.6 years worth of growth. And now I know Damon that now you're an, you are an effective teacher. Mm. That, that's that's real dope. That's yeah. real dope. And that's where we and we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. We're getting there. Um Cortland, you got something? Uh yeah. Um first of all, thank you for joining us. Um truly. Um, you know, I could tell you I myself I get in trouble a lot. I do a lot of stuff with photography and being able to use that as a way to one empower the students, but also I always tell it it's just as much for the students as it is for the teachers as well um throughout the year um you were talking about changing the mindset and the way that the faculty was um kind of needing to change the way they see things what are the, some of the things you did in your school to help kind of capture the student voices to be able to go hey we're going to create this thing where students are able to participate in that new school that you're trying to to create. And so I'm always wondering, you know, what is a way that we can, we have all these students who have a lot of dreams, have a lot of wants. How do we capture that so that they're part of that feedback process to help give us the feedback, help us be accountable, and then also be able to empower the students to be able to build that community that we want to see? I think, I think, I think the first thing is that as a principal, as leadership, I'm always in the hallways. I'm talking to my students. I'm I'm understanding what they're doing. You know what? Let me go ahead and take it. Let me go ahead and take it back. 80% of my time during the school day, I'm in the classrooms, not observing, not doing an evaluation, but I'm in I'm in the classroom so I can be next to my students. I can see what's taking place. I can see how they're feeling and things of that nature. So now I'm in the classroom. So now I see what they need. I see what the teachers need. And then from there, my conversations go back, okay, let me talk to you during, during lunchtime. Let me get that vibe. Let me see what's going on. Let me see how I can support you, okay? So now I'm getting all this information because a lot of times if you think about it, principals are, are they're in the office or if you're a sister principal, you just deal with this. So why, why can't I be this instructional leader and now I'm in the classroom understanding, getting information, talking to my students and then forming things that I know that's gonna address the needs of these kids. You understand the, uh, the address needs of these kids, but not only the kids, Brother Corlin, but also the parents. So let me give you an example of something that I did. Every year before COVID, this is what I would do. I will always have mothers that will come to my office and say, you know what, I can't understand my son. My son wilding out, my son, my son. So it was all these mothers. 
So all of the mothers felt that they were by themselves with this. So one day I said, no, what, I'm going to have a workshop. I'm going to have it on a Saturday, Brother Corner. It's going it's to be called Single Mothers Raising Boys. All right. So what I did was on a Saturday from 9 to 12 o'clock, have breakfast catering, and I had someone come, a single mother who was raising a son, who had a successful son that went to college and stuff like that. And she gave my parents, all 90, these 90 mothers in one room, strategies how to deal with their high school son, elementary son, and middle school son. You understand what I'm saying? Because she would, she would say, we know that the father might not be in the picture. When he comes back in the picture, don't deny him from seeing his son. Don't talk bad about the dad in front of the boy. Don't get mad because the young boy is 16 years old. He looked like his dad. So now you're taking it out on your son because he looked like his dad. These things, and then the parents loved it. They said, hurt. We did not, we never knew. We never knew. So now they're bringing these strategies to the school. So now we can have a better son coming to the school. It's just something simple like that. Something simple like that that was able to address the needs of the, of the student, of the parent, and also helping out the helping out the teachers. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Corey. Uh, I'll, I'll ask the question after you. What'd you say? Yeah, go ahead. I was about, I was just about to say in the chat, you know, you're spot on with all those, you know, those dynamics, like those are all things you know, I feel like, you know, some of us on this call are able to recognize and I've been looking at and trying to attack, you know, it's just, I just wish, I wish so many others understood that, you know what I mean? Like, well, I, when, I when, when, when that young man, because it's like, a, it's a challenge, you know, when, one, you know, when you get wrapped up in the discipline piece and two, um, you know, when when a young male understands, well, I can run to, you know, this woman who, who might have a, you know, a, a, a white savior or Jesus complex, and she's going to save me and protect me from, you know, this, this, this black male, you know what I mean? Or, you know, if, if folks have daddy issues or whatever. So it's, you're, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm, we're constantly, you know, that's one of the most important things. And I think, sometimes some of the dynamics of our schools and our district as a whole set us up in that way. You know what I mean? Because they, they, they only hire us as disciplinarians and, you know, deans and those, those things. So I was wondering, I'm wondering how you actually convince males and folks of color to teach and go in the classroom. Cause I'm always trying, <laughs> you know, well, one of one of the things I think, and and man, that was and that was the thing. Once again, when I started off, I'm like, you know what? We could be more than coaches. We could be more than dean of students. We could be more than all right. We got all these kids in here and buzz duty and all that stuff. So then that's why now 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 like like I said, I'm talking to them. The first thing I said is that you're gonna understand your data. You you know you're gonna understand the standards. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be an instructional leader. That's what you're going to be. And then now I'm going to sit and train you. You know, you're going to, you're going to understand how to unpack some standards. You're going to understand when someone says, oh, he's low in reading. What is he low in? Low in C comprehension? What is it? 
So now I'm pushing all of my teachers and you just part of it because you're a black male. You're going to understand this because once you get this right here and build those relationships, your disciplinary, your discipline will go down tremendously. Yeah. So I kind of have uh, two questions. Uh, one, what, what were some of the strategies as like fundraising? So obviously, you know, obviously we get it that you're in a budget and that kind of idea. Like what were some of the ways you could, you were able to increase um, fundings within the community, that kind of ordeal? And my second question, uh, well, it's not really, but it's more like a complaint on my, uh, the particular position I'm in right now. I was, um, I was, I advised um, if we could start off the following school year um, by implementing like, you know, some sort of financial workshop with the kids, you know, because obviously the vast majority of my students obviously are generational poverty or first year migrant um, Americans, you know what I mean? So like, and so, you know, we're talking about like uh, finances, needs and wants, uh, investments and that kind of ordeal, but it was kind of like in my particular building is kind of like a pushback and kind of like nonchalant you know what i mean but anyway i don't mean to take up your time so no no man i i love it give me that first question first let me ask that first question i'm gonna go that second give me that first question first sorry all right first question was regarding about a fundraising like what was some of the strategy you're using to to increase fundings um within the community or to distribute within to the community okay so to, so to be honest with you we didn't do it first first of all I had to look at it where I said, less is best for me. All right. So I scale all this stuff. I'm like, I got to focus on the academic achievement first. That was the first thing. And then second is that when my school started to move in the right direction, then I started to tap into some of the sororities and fraternities that was part of it. So the, so the Zeta sorority, they love my school. Anything that I, I need or want, they always give it to me. The churches, you know. So let me tell you what I did, Brother Fred. I just, this, I think this was the best thing I've ever done in 14 years as a, as a, as a principal. This is what, you know, in the beginning of school, we all, right, we all, in the beginning of school, you have your open house, right? When the, when the you know, students come in, they get their, they get their, they see their teacher, get their class list, blah, 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 right? That's something every school in the whole world does it. So I said, I, about my fourth year, I said, no, what, I'm going to do something different. And he talked about poverty. This is, I said, I can't wait till these kids become 21 years old to get jobs or high school to get jobs, whatever they I need to do it. So I went into the community. I said, no, what? I went to five jobs, five, five businesses in the community. I said, no, what? I'm having an open house in another month. I want you to be able to come to my school and set up a table in the hallway. And I want you to be able to do a job fair for my parents. It's going to be free of charge. It's going to be at least 400 parents there. And for one hour, you'll be able to see 400 parents. They said, hurt. That's excellent. So I have five, five companies within the community set up tables. So for a whole month, I'm sending out flyers. I'm saying, mom, dad, I need you to come to open house, but it'll be a job fair. If you don't got a job, they're going to hire you on the spot as long as you fit the qualifications. Fill out your resumes or everything. If, 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 if Brother Fred, if you don't need a job, you got a, you got a brother or sister, church member, somebody needs a job, bring them there. So that day that we had our open house, as I'm sitting here, we had close to 88% of our parents that came to the open house. All right. 
out of 88% of my of the parents, we had over 200 parents that filled out applications and 40 parents got jobs on the spot on that day. You talking about really, it, it didn't cause my school a dime and it caused my district a dime. So now within an hour period of time, 44 of my parents got jobs. You talking about really dealing with poverty? You talking about really killing hard? If every school had that, now you're talking about really closing that achievement gap. Now you're really talking about moving that academic needle. Now, Brother Corey, Brother Friend, and Brother Damon, now and Brother Courtney, now you're talking about people buying into your school. Now you're talking about the kids learning. Now you're talking about all these things moving. So you're talking about money coming in, have something like that, and you're going to have people that's going to be, that's going to just love what you're doing. Why don't we have more schools doing that? Right, and that makes that keeps the school at the axis of the learning, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking about me and my personal shift is that I want to, I want to, I think that more, me personally, I feel like I need, I feel like we need to have brothers be principals at elementary schools more. Yep. Um, and the reason why is that I used to be, I used to feel that way about middle schools. But now the kids are getting the information earlier than, right? They're getting, they're getting the grown information a lot earlier. So I feel like a lot of districts feel that putting brothers in middle schools in leadership positions is low risk. So that may be an area where we could start really start working through and, and developing and cultivating really um, the, the mindset of our kids to value, value and own the learning. Um, so what are your thoughts on, uh, on just really creating a movement of really uh, start, starting by putting our brothers as leaders and sisters as leaders in elementary schools and then sort of providing an opportunity for them to move along maybe with their kid, with their, with their students. So if you're, if you're, in a, if you're in a district and I had a network, I give Damon a job as an elementary principal. He's there, he's there six years. After year six, Damon's going to seventh grade to a middle school with them. Seventh, eighth grade, he going to ninth grade with them. He would have had that full cycle, right, with those kids as their leader, getting all this PD and all this support. So now Damon would have had two cycles in the, if you look at the average span, or three, right, like he's just starting out. So in a 36-year span, he would have, he would have taken four to 500 kids of color through the cycle. And then after 24 years, and this is crazy, but this is how we got to do it. After 24 years, that would have been a thousand kids under Damon Keller's watch, you know? And what do you think about really just starting us in elementary school and then just having sort of us take these, take these, take that journey? Well, no way. It's funny. It's from the brother Corey because my second kind of principal position um, when I left this one district and went to another, that's what kind of happened to me. They put me at the elementary school, right? It was a, uh, it was a, a second through kind of fifth grade school, okay? So the fifth graders was leaving, but my superintendent was like, no, nah, you're going to stay with these fifth graders. So now we're going to make you, we're going to have you be the principal. We're going to make your school a, K, a second through sixth grade school. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So then now it was it was sort of like, don't you know how like when teachers, you know, they loop with their kids, she wanted me to loop because she was like, what's happened is that 
We're losing them at the middle school, but they got this good foundation here. So we can't lose them. And then from there, she also said, all right, not only were you going to watch them for the six, you're going to go to the seventh grade. So, so, so now we got, so just like you said, so now I'm touching all these kids. So by the time they went to the high school, they were ready. They were actually like ready. So they didn't lose that middle school, but it started with me having them as, as at the elementary level and looping or moving up with them. So any good superintendent, you're going to be like, listen, if they're successful with you in the fifth grade, I need you to be with them in the sixth. Why, why stop it? And then now they, because we know the middle school, that's when things is, they wild out. But now you know them, you know the parents, let's keep it moving. So yes, I do believe that we need more, more principles of color at the elementary because that's the foundation. A lot of times we try to get them when they're in high school and not say it can't be done, but it's much easier to go ahead and get them when they're in the first grade or kindergarten and make sure that that foundation is good. And not only the parents, but the, also the uh and not only students but the parents also being able to get the parents trained get the parents trained get the parents ready to go in and go yeah i mean like i'm because i'm as opposed to starting you are legitimately starting your own school by doing that no matter where you are yeah because if 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 you're talking about a leadership loop looping the leadership that's effective you don't need to have, a, I don't need to have a school named Corey McCarthy High School or Corey McCarthy Middle School. I'm the school. So yep. me going from elementary with some kids and then to middle school and then to high school and, and then, and then taking that sort of feedback as effective as I am as an educator already, taking that sort of um, data, that the, the, the feedback, Taking, take, looking at how how we we how easily we will be able to um, be um, how easy will be our, our teachers will make their goals based on knowing who this person is and the kids having a, a, a real strong um, engagement level and belief and trust in their leader and seeing a brother as a leader from you that no and then going all through high school and then getting to college be like man I. I had, a, I had a black principal my whole life. Yeah. Like, yeah. that is crazy. No one in Boston can say that. There's no one in Boston that can say that. Cortland, you from Washington, you had a black principal? <laughs> no. <laughs> Damon, you from Boston, you had a black principal? Fred, you had a black principal? Absolute, absolutely not. <laughs> Fred, Fred, you had a black principal ever? No, nah, no, nah, it was after... Um, um... While I got to college is when Rube, Rube and um, McAfee were the first two that I, I could think of. After, prior from that, no. You see, right. see Brother Corey, that, and, 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 and that's what I mean. And then, and then that's why when I started, I like the system. We've been doing this for 100, 100 years. No one has ever, like did you said, thought outside of the box to say, let's get them loop. Yes, because at the end of the day, the principal is going to move to school. I don't, it's, it's just like a, it's just like a, a football team if you have a good quarterback you're going to always go to the playoffs no matter what your defense could be bad special teams but your quarterback can fill the gaps of everything if you have a good principal if the principal knows what he or she is doing and start that principal at the elementary level that foundation is so key and keep that principal looping with them 
That's the game changer. I will put any money that if you had that principal go with them from K to high school, every kid would be college or career ready. That's a, that, they can't make excuse, they can't make excuses for the lack of someone who looks like them in their lives. They can't they can halfway make the excuse about the father being in their lives. That's a half excuse, right? So that might be another conversation we all may need to have because yeah. now my brain is, is tricking on me and like, all right, all right, McCarthy, you got you might have to spend do a 12-year documentary or 12 some 12-year research. That's why it's important. Although our kids don't have 12 years, you know, um, I, I, I get that. Um, so as we look to, to wrap to wrap up, you know, what are some of the things? Right, this is two questions. What are some of the things that we could do immediately to get more people, more folks of color? Because it's one thing to get somebody of color to, to, to be in education. It's another thing to get somebody good of color, man. I'll be like, we got bad app, we got bad folks too. I'll be, I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. Like, we got some folks that just don't that have the same biases because they've come from, they want, they've absorbed the sort of traits that that really like malign and, and disrupt the learning of our kids. How 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 are we going to make sure we are 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 developing those folks because we're stuck with them, right? They look like us. We're stuck with them, and we gotta we gotta change their mindset. Yeah, I think I think I think the first thing is that as a school, once again, I always go back to this data. As a school leader, if you have goals to say, all right, I want thirty five percent of your kids to be proficient. I want one point five years worth of growth. That's my goal. So that's a that's the bar that I am setting, and I always set this bar. So no matter what color, what gender you are, what religion you are, you must come up and, and you must come up to these particular standards. So now my conversation is not out of emotions, not about what you've been doing for five or six years. Are you meeting the goal that I've set for you as a teacher? That changes the game. Second is that how do we get more, more, more black males in the education period? We have to be very strategic. One thing, and then hopefully, I, I, I don't care who listened to this. I'm always calling the HBCUs. Hey, I need some people who's going to, do you have any people graduating that could come to my district? They don't even got to be educators. They don't even got to be educators. No, they don't. I said this, I said this in the, in the uh, beginning. You can come and be subs. I'm going to get you in a program to get you to where you need to be at. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like even, even this, Detroit, I'm from, I'm from Detroit. I was watching the girls basketball, the University of Michigan girls basketball, uh, the girls basketball college. I'm looking at it, I'm like, those girls not going to the, the WNBA, but I would love for them to teach at my school. So I literally, this is, I got a picture, I put it, I literally had one of the, the small four her name is Harika Johnson, small for it. She averaged 18 points and eight rebounds a game. She came to my school. I said, listen, I want you to teach at my school for next year. Okay. Actually recruited. So I'm looking at how could we don't go to these colleges and get some of these athletes and get some of these football players to come here. They got degrees. They got the whatevers. Let them come in and start to teach at the school level. Right. And then we and, – and, and we – and we, yo, that is brilliant. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
Because I know so many former athletes walking around. I got four of mine that recently just got into education. And and because on top of that, they don't mind being you because of the relationship they have with you, number one. Number two, you know, create a pipeline for former athletes that when that ball stops bouncing, it's really real. And you can really sell them, like, hey, while you're not here, you know, yeah, while, I, while you're not playing, you can just up in here. I agree. I agree. And Corey, tell tell Mr. Cooper he better accept my LinkedIn or we're going to have a problem. I see he's <laughs> teaching math. You know what I'm saying? I see he's uh, teaching math and we, we, we need all the, you know, all of the young brothers we can get, you know, and I, and I, I definitely think, um, you know, that that's a key um, leverage point, you know, and I think too often it, it's difficult because they, they steer, you know, athletes and folks who, you know, are, are intelligent, they steer them to business and other forms. And they're like, oh, well, you can make this money and you can do this and do that, you know? And I think it's hard because, because at, at, at times education can be a thankless, you know, profession, you know? And I think, and, and oftentimes I say to my staff, you know, because we know what the statistics are nationwide and and what they are at my school, you know, you generally, like you said, have the majority white women, you know, and it's not reflective of the students that are in your class, you know, but it's, 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 they get the, they get the room to experiment and, you know, be green forever. You know, you can be, you can be a green Karen forever. Let you be a brother, you know, with a goatee, and come in there, they be, you know, and that's, that's one of the hard, the, the challenges, you know, we've, we've had to make sure that we're much more intentional around, you know, celebrating and supporting um, teachers of color, you know, and not letting groups of, you know, ELA folks ostracize or run out, you know, math teachers or ELA teachers, you know what I mean? So, yeah, what one one brother Damon, that's what happened to me. And that and that's what I'm saying. When I started off, I started off at, at 21 year, 20, 21 years old, fresh out of school. Uh-huh. I didn't know no better. The principal yeah. was a was a black male, and he's like, hey, I need more black men. And then I came in as a sub. I came in as a sub, and then I went back and got my certification, stuff like that. But for a couple of years, I was a sub, and then I got my certifications. And then even for me, I'm like, it's hard to teach. You know, it's hard to be able to take that teacher doing it for 30 years and doing whatever. But if I could get me a, a, a young brother that's 21, 22 years old, fresh out of college, I could mold him. I could I could do what I need to do. Now he's coming with different energy. He's coming. He knows technology. He, you know, he got the whole thing and he can relate to these kids. And man, and that's what I do. I get all of these young. I get all these young brothers. You might have a degree in communication. You can still work in my building. We're going to get you on the track to become certified. And then from there, you're going to go in and take off. That's funny because I can look at them as, as basketball players and decide, know whether or not they'll be good educators. Yeah. I can look at how they play yeah. <laughs> and know how they will be as educators. And then listen, so, so now, see this, see, this is the whole game. You know that they got to work a good work ethic because they've been coached all their life. They're not going to quit. They're going to get up early. They know discipline. They know all of that. So 
why can't we transfer those skills from the athletic standpoint and transfer it inside of the classroom? They understand us. So then, Corey, if Brother Damon, if I say, all right, you got your playbook, your playbook is this thick, right? So now you got to do your lesson plans. Your lesson plans is your playbook. Mm. Now, oh, okay, mm -hmm. you're coaching. So you've been in a, you've been in meetings, you've been in the coaching meeting. Here, your coach say, hey, you missed that block. You got to slide your feet. So when I coach and say, you know what, that ELA lesson wasn't right. Now you got to make sure that you check for understanding. You got to make sure that you know you differentiate your instruction. It's the same thing. It's the same. You got, you got to use that practice plan and get the prompts ready and those do nows ready. <laughs> <laughs> yo, 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 I tell you one thing, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, this, this is just incredible, right? Like for me, like my brain is like my poor brain, um, my poor brain. So we're, we're, we're going to wrap up. I'm going to have each one of y'all just sort of give some closing statements about this conversation. So I'll go with you, Damon. Sorry, I'm, I'm brushing a young lady's teeth. Um, I would, no, I just wanted to, you know, say thank you for having me on this call. Um, I definitely, you know, want to continue it and, and have you, you know, speak to uh, some, of the, some of the folks I work with and, you know, some of the folks who work like for me so they can understand, you know, that it, it is doable, you know? And I, I just think, you know, our district as a whole needs to hear brothers like you and hear, you know, the importance and critical nature of, you know, our roles as black educators and, and, and black uh, school leaders, you know. So. I would love to come down, man. I'm down in Baltimore. I'm down in Chicago, Florida. Come on, Boston. Come on, reach out to me. I'm ready. <laughs> man, I'm oh, uh, no, that's going to happen. That's going to that's gonna happen. That's, that's, that's going to happen. Uh, Fred, any parting? I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. Um, definitely learned a lot and taking heed to your advice and some of the strategy that you incorporated this evening. Um, definitely looking forward to uh, future events with you and obviously hopefully another keynote speaker situation. Thank you again. And Sean, anything in, in, in closing? You know what? I would just say, you know what? This is, I man, Brother Corey, I love this, man. And if whoever listens to this, we can really move this needle. Just just stay focused. Let's keep on doing what we're doing. And I and I know for if I can do it, anybody else can do it. I appreciate that, folks. Um, here's my thing, right? I appreciate you, Sean. I appreciate Damon and, and Fred. You know, these are and on court, like, you know, I've seen these brothers in action. I've seen Fred work with my son. Me and Damon speak almost every day about how we can make lives better for kids. And then Cortland has one of the most culturally proficient curriculums for social emotional learning you will ever come across. Um, and now, you know, having you come in and, and really like add some, some rationale to why we are always doing this work and why the work is, is, so, is so important. But, you know, one, one thing I, I, really, I really must say about the last point about recruiting um, folks of color right out of college is that actually prevents there's a, there's a, I don't even want to say they're not hiding anymore, right? There's, there's a concerted effort to, to erase any uh, understanding or any, um, any validation 
or any factual context um, and content related to the um, elevation of people of color, um, almost denouncing um, that we have um, played a part in the con construct of this country um, in particular or anywhere on earth. And part of what happens is that they, they tend to lead us um, with, with music and, and, and a four-year plan of college, college athletics and prevent us from having our 40-year plan. And even in one conversation, we're able to develop a 40-year plan for a kid who doesn't know what to do when the ball stops bouncing. So look at, this is why these conversations are so important and they're so real, they're so rich. And because these are the, this is how our kids tend to learn, right? From just immediate experience. So, and, and, and oftentimes they're in the middle of their own mistake analysis, right? And mistake analysis, if you look that up, folks who are listening, Google mistake analysis and, and, and Damon brought this up. Sometimes our, our kids aren't allowed to fail their way into being intellectual or into being successful. So um, we appreciate you, man, and uh, we'll definitely stay in contact. And I, I know I'll be seeing you on Saturday at your Facebook Live. Give us a plug. Give your website a plug really quick in your Facebook Live, brother. You're in Boston now, so. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, if anybody would like to see me, I'm on Facebook and also LinkedIn every Saturday from 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to about uh, 1030. And I'm just going over strategies is helping inner city schools move the academic needle also uh, you can go ahead on my website that is shurtwhoturnaroundspecialist.com and you can just see some of the content that i have either um my books that i'm uh, that i have out and also if you like for me to come and provide services for your school or district i'm always there just kind of inbox me and we can go ahead and just make it work once again brother Corey, man i appreciate i really you don't know i really appreciate this man this was this this is great. I love your movement. The brothers are on here. Man, this is excellent. So I just hats off to you, Brother Corey, man. I just, you know, I'm just, man, I'm a big fan of yours, man. Yeah, same here, man. We getting there, brother. We getting there. So with that being said, um, to the audience, you have um, a good night. And, you know, we'll be back next week. But we'll be going live with, uh, with, um, with, with this episode tomorrow.